So, Father, we come before you very humbled, Lord, of the fact that you love us to a depth that we can never understand on this side of eternity. But yet you tell us about it in your word and you showed it to us at your cross. But we're so thankful that the good news did not end at your crucifixion. It ended on what we're celebrating today, the fact that you rose again. The death couldn't hold you, the grave couldn't hold you, because you are the author of life, you are the prince of life, and you impart life to us. We pray today's service would bring honor and glory to you, and by your spirit that you would unearth the truths that you want to bless and encourage our faith with today. I pray for your touch upon each one of us that are here today and our youth downstairs, that God, that you would prepare us to meet you because we know you're coming soon. Thank you for rising again the third day. Thank you for giving us the confidence of our faith, Lord, because when you speak something, it comes to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, we will be probably all over the place today. And an announcement I chose to ignore early on um, that I need to announce is that there is no woman's study tomorrow. So for you ladies who are planning on coming out. So the video we saw was Resurrection Sunday 2020. And here we are, Resurrection Sunday 2022. And in your own personal lives, you've probably seen a lot of change in the last couple of years. But the one thing that we all have in common is that the sands of time are falling out of the hourglass. And our Lord Jesus is coming very quickly for us. Today is a reminder to us that our lives have been ordained to live in victory. Today is a reminder that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is single-handedly the greatest message of hope in the history of humanity. A biblical definition of hope is not a hope-so-hope. I don't walk around my fingers crossed. But it's a no-so-hope. The Bible defines it as this, a biblical definition of hope. An absolute, confident expectation of future good. And I'm here to tell you today, we got some future good coming our way. The resurrection of Christ was him returning to life from the dead. The saints of old knew this. David had confidence, not having the fruition of the New Testament, not seeing Jesus on earth that we get to see through the four Gospels. But King David said this, that goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will, not I might or I hope, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was a confidence that he walked in. I hope you have that same confidence today that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because if you don't have that confidence, today's the day to do something about it. Daniel was told at the end of his book that at the end of the days you will receive your allotted inheritance. So for us today, as we're here to celebrate, Easter is a time when God turned the inevitability of death into the invincibility of life. That's what our Lord and Savior Jesus did for us. Every year around this time, I have the great privilege 
to speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two years ago from Joel Scissorleaf, this year from the pulpit. But in reality, the resurrection speaks for itself. And we're going to be looking at some things today that speak about the resurrection speaking for itself. But one of the ways it speaks is by the work of God in your lives. This is what Jesus said to Matthew, who missed out because he was out of fellowship. Don't get out of fellowship or you're going to miss out. He missed out on the appearance of Jesus. And he said to Thomas, reach thither my, thy finger, behold my hands, reach thither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And in Thomas answered, said unto him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen, you has believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and believed. That's you and me. That's you who are walking in faith today. Look at the blessed life is linked to the believing life. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've come in here because you do your Easter and Christmas thing, and we're so glad you're here today. But I'm going to tell you, you're missing out on the blessed life that Jesus Christ has for you if you aren't exercising a believing life towards him. He said this to Thomas. I don't know about you, I don't know how blessed you feel, but I feel like one of the blessed men that walked this planet today. And my blessings are weighed on the eternal scale because I'm forgiven, because I have fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords day after day, because I'm part of this wonderful family and I have an inheritance awaiting me. And it was all made possible because three days after Christ was crucified, he rose again. Paul told us in Romans that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. We're sitting here today not because our lives reformed, but because Jesus Christ stepped in and we're transformed. If he stayed in that grave, he has nothing to offer for you. He came out of that grave, he has everything to offer you. And that's what I've experienced with Jesus since 1994. Luke 24. That's where I told you to go, right? Well, I guess we better go there then. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher. And we know these were the ladies, Mary Magdalene, Salome, the other ladies. It says that they came early unto the sepulcher. You know, the Bible tells us weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. They have no idea the joy that they were going to experience that morning. But I'm telling you, the whole day can be transformed when you seek Jesus first. And they sought Jesus first. And they came in sorrow. They came that morning in mourning. We don't see that they had any hope because if they had hope with them, they wouldn't have bring, brought the spices that they had prepared to embalm his body. They had no idea what laid ahead of them. What were they expecting to find? A sealed tomb and a dead Jesus. That's what they were expecting to find. And they were going to find the exact opposite. I want you to notice this, that it says the first day of the week. Today is the first day of the week. 
And, and really Sunday, okay, we gather together, and I love Resurrection Sunday. It's really one of my favorite holidays, if you want to call it that, through the whole year. Because it is a time when we zero in and we reflect on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's really no has no more value than any other day because we celebrate the fact as Christians that our Lord walks with us 365, 24-7. So that's one of the great privileges of being a born-again Christian is that we have a Lord Jesus that resurrected and he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. That's what we get to rest in. But Sunday, really, the early church gathered on Sunday because it was always a week weekly memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're here, we come to church. Why do you do church? Why do you come to church? Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why we come to church. First of all, because we've been told to. The Lord wants us together. We're a family. And it's not just what the church offers you, it's what you have to offer the church by God's investment in your life. And we come together because our king is worthy of the praises of our heart. Our king is worthy of the submission of our heart to the teaching of his truth. That we come here, church, the first day of the week is a weekly memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to experience and connect with him. My prayer for us is I just pray for God's presence. I ask for anything to remove what would hinder that here because we know that he's here and we know that he's here because he says he's here. When you think about God, we know there's nothing that he can't do, but there is something he can't do. He can't lie. He told us that. So if he says when two or more are gathered together, I'm in the midst and lo, I walk in the midst of the churches in Revelation. Believe me, he's here today. You, you might not be able to see him with the lens of your eye, but you can see him through the lens of the heart of faith. That's how we know that. You can pick up cell phone service here. You can pick up TV service. You can pick up radio service. You can suck droplets of water out of the air with a, with a dehumidifier. You can't see any of those things, but just because you can't see them don't, doesn't mean that they're here. Trust me, Jesus is here. And my prayer and my hope for us is that, that as a church that our, our experience with Christ wouldn't just be academic and educational, but it'd be truly experiential and tangible. That there would be a connection. That there would be something. I'm so limited as a human being, but I ask the Holy Spirit to ignite these truths into our hearts like fire and burn away the chaff in all of us. That you would be able to receive the touch from Jesus that you need today because maybe just one word's going to give you some form of a hope or, or some form of an encouragement or a correction or a redirection in your life. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to connect with you and he wants to connect with me so that there would be an exchange made. So if we walk in here and we walk in here discouraged that this is so living and active and it can have such a way when he moves in your heart, that you walk out in courage, you walk out with hope. That if we're being led into temptation, that he would fuel you and I to choose the path of victory. You see, an exchange takes place because we open up the word and it 
It renews our mind by transforming it with divine truths. And that while we're here, that we would actually edify one another, that, that what I'm doing with you today, teaching you the word, would build you up so you could go do ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, that we would go do ministry. Because we live in a broken world that's full of hurting people. And there's one cure, and it's resurrected Jesus. One cure. Because you don't know when you're at the restaurant what your waitress's sister's going through, or you don't know the guy who's stocking shelves at Walmart, how valueless he feels, because you don't know. But when you take the time and you let the living Lord of glory work his living word in your life and in my life, we can go forth being living epistles. It's part of the reason we're here today. We don't play church. We are church and we do church. They expected to see a sealed tomb and a dead Jesus. We need to walk in here ready to experience the living Jesus. At work in one another's life. The real deal. More real than anything you've experienced on this side of eternity. It says, and they found a stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in. They found out the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came as they were much perplexed. There behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And they were afraid. And they bowed their faces to the earth. And they said, to him, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. You know what also rose other than Jesus at that moment? Hope rose. Hope rose at that moment. Because the ones on the way to Emmaus and the other people thought, was not this who was going to restore Israel? Was this not this the Messiah? Was this not the man that we were looking for? They had a wrong perspective that he was going to come at that time and he was going to put down Roman rule and he was going to rule the earth when in reality he came that time not to rule globally, he came that time to rule individually. Your choice today. Who's in the driver's seat? But then they say this, remember, we're so forgetful, aren't we? We are such a forgetful people. We forget things all the time. The older I get, the more I forget things. But the key word here is remember, it's so vitally important that we do not lose sight and we do not forget Heaven's messages. Because it changes the countenance of our heart, which changes the outlook of our life. I know people are concerned right now with our world. I know people are concerned with our country. I know people are concerned with our economy. And that's very understandable. But do not forget Jesus is coming. Do not forget that we will rule this world with him for a thousand years and then he gives us new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Do not forget those things. I 
remember. John 20 verse 9 says that they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They forgot. He told them. It wasn't because he didn't tell them. He told them over and over. I'm going to be delivered into the scribes of the Pharisees. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be scourged. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Today, at the Green Dome in Medina, Saudi Arabia, are the remains of the founder of Islam, Muhammad. Today in Jingchuan County, Pingliang, China, are the remains of Siddharth Gautama, the founder of Buddhism. And today if you go to Jerusalem in Israel, you will find a tomb that was rented for three days and left vacated. Because the founder of Christianity is the one true and living God that came back from the grave to prove it to be true. You and I are blessed because we have not been blanketed with deception. We have the truth of Christ. We have the truth of Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 1 with me, if you would. Now, here's the part of the validity and the impact of the resurrection. Though there's many, here's part of it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise, this is Luke writing. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit writing through Luke. Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up? After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive. He showed himself alive after his passion, his crucifixion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. So when he came forth before he ascended, came forth from the grave before he sent it back up into glory was a 40-day time period. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, even Peter would write to us in the same chapter, verse 22, when he felt the need, though he didn't need to do this because God already had someone in the plans by Saul of Tarsus, who would be Paul the apostle. But Peter thought that somebody needed to take Judas's spot. And this was one of the qualifications of what it would be to be an apostle. He says, wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John under the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained, be a witness with us of the resurrection. So we look at these individuals, and this is Acts chapter 1. We see that when they came to take Jesus, all the apostles fled, all 11 of them, right? They forsook him. Peter tried to help out, cut off Malchus's ear, and, and then he bolted and followed the Lord afar off. But, but we see the rest of the book of Acts. Once the Holy Spirit was deposited, the empowerment of heaven showed up in the apostles' hearts. We look at Peter and John. We see these individuals. They start off being imprisoned and unthreatened. And then they go from that to imprisoned, threatened, and then beaten. Beaten. And then after that, Peter was in prison awaiting execution, and an angel let him loose, and eventually he would be martyred. James, we know, 
one of the other apostles who was John's brother in the Bible. They called him, Jesus called them on a beach from their fishing business to be fishers of men. We see him in the book of Acts. He was the first apostle martyred. He was beheaded uh, by Herod. James, who was the Lord's brother, not one of the original 12, had this mindset of Jesus. He didn't honor him. He was a prophet without honor in the lives of his family, including James. John 7, 5 says that his his brothers didn't believe him. And even in Mark's account, it says that literally he was crazy. Now, this same James would eventually be thrown off the pinnacle of the temple by the scribes and Pharisees, still barely alive. They stoned him to death to finish him off. Something happened there in James's life. What would take a man from dishonoring an individual, not believing in an individual, even thinking that individual to be crazy, being his own brother? 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says that when Jesus was resurrected, he was seen of James. Something special happened. Something very sacred happened. And the fact that his brother, half-brother, I should say, was risen from the dead changed everything. The question for these individuals, and we know, you know, I've read it before, you know, out of Fox's Book of Martyrs, the, the vicious ways that these individuals were martyred. Stone, hung, beaten. Peter, they say, was crucified upside down. But here's the question. We know the four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we knew they had a lucrative fishing business there. But if Jesus didn't rise again, why would they be willing to die? If Jesus didn't rise again, what would be their gain? A life of hardship? Suffering and dying a horrible death for something that wasn't true? Would not even one to just escape the torture and the martyrdom call this whole thing a hoax? The martyred blood of the apostles cries out to you and I of the validity of the resurrection. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me for a moment. I look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you know what I see it as? I see it as a winch of hope to pull you and I through life's troubles. Not many people escape trouble in this life. Comes in various size and shapes and different forms. Comes out of nowhere. Some of it's self-inflicted, some of it's others inflicted, some of it's just our enemy inflicted. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our winch of hope to pull us through the troubles of this life. I think of an individual other than Jesus in the Bible who probably experienced more trouble than anyone other in the Bible. Maybe I would maybe it would be a two-way tie. One Old Testament, one New Testament. One being Job, the other one being Paul the Apostle. And I think of everything this righteous individual by the name of Job went through. 
Worse to me is the loss of his children. Lost his business, lost his possessions, things were stolen from him. And then eventually, he even lost his own health. Maybe the point of thinking that it's over, I'm going to die. And we look at that, and we think about everything that he went through. I see him in an unbelievable fashion giving God praise because he was not a conditional worshiper. He was an unconditional worshiper. He wasn't one of those Christians or believers that said, you know what, I'll praise God in the good times, but when things get bad, man, (laughs) he's going to get my non-praise on. But there was something tucked away in the heart of Job that comes at us from chapter, you don't have to turn there, chapter 19, the book of Job. He says this, with everything that he was going through, with, with terrible friends making accusations about him. For I know, this is confidence. I know, I, I'm, not, I'm hoping, not I'm guessing. I know my Redeemer lives. And he's going to stand at that latter day upon the earth. And know my skin... Worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, I'm going to see God. He knew he was going to get a resurrected flesh. And he knew in that he was going to see God. Whom I shall see for myself, my eyes shall behold, not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Paul the Apostle, the other one that went through so many things in his life, obviously beaten, shipwrecked, stoned. You follow his, his, his life in the book of Acts and the things that he shares with us, all the external things, the internal things, just concerned about the spiritual health of the church and all the deceivers that were trying to tear down this beautiful work the Spirit was doing in God's people. But this is what he says at the end, I'm now ready to be offered up because the time of my departure is at hand. It's time to go home. Fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. Henceforth, he didn't say I'm going into the ground. Now it's time to go back into that ground. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. He's the one that told us to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, it, it, I would desire to be here with you, church, but, but I, I would much rather go home and to be with Christ. But in 1 Corinthians, this is the resurrection chapter. This is the doctrinal resurrection chapter that Paul the Apostle gives us. And I want you to remember something because look what he says here in the beginning. More other brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have received, and that's where you stand, which also you are saved. You're saved through the gospel. It's the only way you can get saved through the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached on you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, what I received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Look at, with the gospel, you can't leave it just there. 
I know we want to share the cross with people, and we need to share the cross with people, but I'm telling you, it is what he says here in verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's like that puts the exclamation point on the gospel because that's what gives it power. That's the gospel, the good news. Not just that Christ died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again the third day. He's a resurrected Lord, and he offers us that resurrection. He says here in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? What we look at with with death is its sting can be permanent. It's permanence. For for the unbeliever, death is permanence. And, And the thing that's so horrific about the death of an unbeliever is they're separated from the life and the person of God forever. Forever separated from the life and the person of God. That's permanence. Never to be connected or have the opportunity to be connected with God again. So he says, death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? The grave speaking of eternal imprisonment of an individual who dies without Christ. Paul's writing from a believer's perspective and the whole chapter is about the resurrection. He tells us if there's no resurrection, that our life is vain, it's empty, it's worthless, and we are fools. But he said, now is Christ risen again? And we look at this, and and I've heard the account, you know, the, the, the sting of death, you know, that can bring... Uh, a, a soul into the grave forever, that, that permanence separated from God, that eternal imprisonment, graves victory. You know, I heard of a, a story, you probably heard it before too, of a father driving down the road with his son and, and all of a sudden a bee flies in the window and the son freaks out because he's deathly allergic to bees. And, and the father, just in his love for his son, wanting to rescue his son, wanting to save his son, just took that bee and grabbed it. And, and the son was all worried and all freaked out. And he said, Dad, you got to get that bee out of the car. He says, don't, don't worry about it, son, because the stinger is now in me. And you know what? Death can't sting me for my sins because Jesus at the cross took the sting for my sins. The stinger got put in him, and I've been saved. What a wonderful Savior that we have. He says here, the, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be unto God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is what he did over the grave. You know, it's almost like Paul was taunting death. It's almost like driving by a cemetery and saying, where's your victory? You know, It had victory over me until 1994, but now on this side, man, I can drive by a graveyard and say, you're not having victory over me because my victory was won at the cross 2,000 years ago. He was taunting death. If you guys remember back in January, a human lightning bolt by the name of Tyreek Hill taunted the Buffalo Bills defenders on his way to a 64-yard touchdown and on his way to victory. 
He taunted them because he was heading to victory. We get to taunt death. We get to taunt the grave. We get to celebrate over that because we're on our way to victory, church. That's where we're heading. So because of that, he says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore. Okay, now therefore is literally drawn a conclusion from the previous verses. Therefore, my beloved brethren, beloved brethren, never forgetting the immeasurable amount of love that God has for you and the manifestation of that love on the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, be steadfast, which literally means to be settled. Remember, the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Steady, unshakable, stable. That's what we become when the word of God is settling into our hearts. And he says, be immovable. Immovable literally means that it's a foundation that, that of God that stands sure in our life. We're commissioned with purpose and we're unwilling to waver. Unwilling to waver. We cannot be knocked off our course because God is making us immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. He's literally reclu- recruiting believers to, to live a life that's going to matter a hundred years from now. To live a life for the kingdom and the work of God's kingdom on the earth. A.W. Pink says this speaks of quality over quantity. The Greek literally means to excel greater. You think about Daniel. It's not so much the number of things we do for the Lord, but it's the heart that we do it with. You think about Daniel. He was a man of an excellent spirit, not just once, but that's mentioned twice about his character. Plus, he was excellent in wisdom. Why? Because he was abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor, your hard work, your efforts... That's laboring to the point of tears is not in vain in the Lord. It will look like it is at times. It will feel like it is at times. And we need to remember that servants of God. We need to remember that witnesses of God. We need to remember that parents of God. But what God's word say? It's not in vain. It's not empty. It's not worthless. What God calls you to is worth doing with all of your heart. It is not anything that's in vain. You turn to John 11 real quick, and we're going to close out here. I know you guys got chocolate on your mind. I know. I know it goes. Cadbury eggs. Terrible. Peeps? Who invented peeps? The devil? Gosh. Seriously, man. I had root beer peeps one time. I almost had vomit. Sorry. I don't know where that came from. (sighs) 
Look at, I played that video today for a reason. Because I want you and I to remember how fast time goes and it stops for no one. It's very gracious. Because time in its graciousness allots us the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and to forsake our sins, to receive forgiveness, and to take him up on the opportunity to follow him. That's the graciousness of time. But at the same time of being very gracious, it's very merciless. It will not make allowance for our excuses, and it will not make allowances for our procrastination. In John chapter 11, we find two broken-hearted sisters, the loss of their sibling. Jesus made this simple statement to her in her pain. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, you'll never die. You'll never die. What the world might view death as is our release from temporal life to eternal life. Because Jesus just said here, for the believer, you never die. But that believing speaks of an act of faith and it speaks of an absolute trust. It doesn't speak of just acknowledging it or not claiming that it's not true or being indifferent to it. But it speaks about a trust. Whosoever believeth in me shall never die. And then he says this, believest thou this? You see, that's really the question that we have to ask ourselves. The validity of the resurrection and my belief in it truly manifests itself in a way that I choose to live my life. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if he is risen, I better take very serious to my heart everything he says. But if he's not risen, I would be a fool to listen to anything he says. My conclusion? Christ rose like he said he would. Jesus is here like he said he'd be. That's my conclusion. What's yours? I'm going to close out with just a final thing that Jesus told his disciples. I read a quote today by one of my favorite, or the other day by one of my favorite authors, Leonard Ravenhill. <laughs> and he said this, he said, if Jesus preached what preachers preach today, he never would have been crucified. Oh God, don't let me be that preacher. 
This is what the resurrected Lord told his apostles, and this is what I'm telling you. Thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name above all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Your sins have offended a holy God. And I'm here to tell you today that you are going to pay for them with the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. Unless you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is my responsibility to tell you that because it's not okay. When it comes down to the things of eternity, it is not okay. You have two options. You either have the option to put your faith in Christ and let your sins be paid for, what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, or you're going to pay for them forever in a place that was never designed for you where the majority of human beings choose to go because of their pride, because of their rebellion, and because of their unbelief. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leadeth to life. Few will find it. Broad is the gate that goes to destruction, and many will go in thereby. What road are you on? What road are you on? Because if you're maybe visiting here today, it's because God loved you so much, he wants you to get off the road to death and get you on the road to life. Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Take your good works, throw them away. Take your baptism, get rid of it. Take your first communion, it's gone, man. None of that... None of those works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. This could be your moment. And I'm going to give you the opportunity. As we close out today, I'll lead you in a prayer. And if you have come to the conclusion Christ has risen from the grave and now I am responsible with everything else he said. That he also said that if you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom of God and you need to be born again by the Holy Spirit and forgiven of your sins today. If you want that wrath because your sins have offended God, if you want that removed from your soul and you want the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by his blood brought in, then you can pray this prayer with me today. Father, I come before you knowing that sin has been passed down to me from the garden. Admitting it, seeing it in my life, seeing it in my heart, but recognizing because you're graceful, you've offered a cure. And the cure is what your son did for me. by my own will today, Lord. I'm choosing to repent, to turn from my sins. 
to ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And to step into my life and to be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. And I believe that your blood is sufficient to forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for accepting me for who I am to make me who you've designed me to be. In Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for this day that we got to reflect upon the glory of the resurrection, upon the hope that we get to have in our lives, and upon the fact that your son came forth from that grave just like he said he would. So that we would know that he's by our side through thick and thin. Whether we're on a peak or in a valley, whether the waters are smooth or whether it's a Eurocliden, regardless of the circumstances this world throws at us, is that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that as we leave today, goodness and mercy are going to follow us. Thank you, Lord, when it's over here, we're going to dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So.